Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. We're at a time when highly educated, supposedly intelligent people, when asked a very simple question, they can't answer it. Here's the question. What is a woman? What is a woman? Now, this enlightened age can no longer answer that question. So we need to recognize, no, this is darkness. These are minds that have become darkened to where we can no longer even think rationally. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of John. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on John chapter 8, verse 12, in a message titled, Jesus, Light of the World. Now, here's Pastor Brian. As we see here in this 12th verse, we have another one of those I am statements of Jesus. Maybe you remember a few weeks ago, we were talking about the fact that in John's gospel, remember John's objective is that that people would read these things, that they would come to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, they might have life through his name. That's John's goal. And we pointed out that throughout the gospel, one of the things that is unique to John's gospel are these I am statements of Jesus, where he takes this formula and he says, I am, we saw already, I am the bread of life. And now the second one, I am the light of the world. But in doing that, He's taking the name of God to himself. When he says, I am, he is identifying as the God of Israel. You remember perhaps when in Exodus chapter 3, when the Lord appeared to Moses in that burning bush, and Moses says, basically Moses says, what is your name? God says, my name is I am. I am that I am. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he is, again, he's identifying himself as the God of Israel. And so we're going to focus in on this statement here today. Now, these words were spoken in the context of the Feast of Tabernacles. And so we've been in uh, the seventh chapter And now here into the early part of the eighth chapter, everything that's been happening has been going on around this this Feast of Tabernacles. And it was there on the last day, the great day of the feast. Maybe you remember Jesus stands up and says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And so here it's the same setting. And Jesus said that, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, because there was a, there was something that was happening there in their midst that would connect Jesus with the historical provision of God with water for the people in the wilderness. So there was this processional that was taking place where the priest would go down 
and they would go to the pool of Siloam and they would fill up these basins with water and then they would come back up and they would pour the water out on the rock. And this was a reminder to the people of how God provided water for them in the wilderness, in the desert. He provided water out of a rock. And so this is all the visual. They're watching this. And then Jesus suddenly stands up and says, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. So this is a similar sort of a thing because also there on the temple area at the time, there was a massive candelabra. There was this giant candelabra that would be lit every night and it would light up the whole of the Temple Mount area. And that was also a reminder to the people of how God provided light for them in the darkness of the wilderness. And so we read back in, uh, in Exodus again, we read that when they're going through their journey, and we see this in Numbers as well, that God, he provided a covering for them during the day, a cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night. The cloud by day protected them from the heat. The pillar of fire by night kept them warm because the temperatures can be really extreme there, but also provided light for them. So now Jesus, taking advantage of a kind of a teaching moment, he, they would see this this candelabra, but he now says about himself that he is the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have uh, the light of life. Now, something that I think is very interesting is what Jesus says here. In that, he doesn't say what he might have been expected to say. They might have expected him to say, I am the light of Israel. But he doesn't. Even though he is, but he's more than that. He says, I am the light of the world, the whole world, all people. I've, came, I've come to bring uh, illumination, not just to the people of Israel, but to all people. And this is really what the scriptures has, had taught, but the people, at the, especially at the time, and especially the leaders, they had completely lost sight of the fact that the Messiah was going to come to save the world. They had reduced the Messiah to coming and basically blessing them. Messiah would come, he's going to bless us, the people of Israel, and we're going to rule over the rest of the world. So it was a completely sort of a self-centered interpretation. But the scriptures had declared, even though they were often ignored at the time, the scriptures had declared that the Messiah was coming for the whole world, that God loved the whole world, that God's intention was to bring the world back to him. And so the Lord speaking through the prophet Isaiah, he said this. He said, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant. This is God speaking to the Messiah. Too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. 
I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. So you see the Jewish people and specifically the leaders, they saw the Messiah as, yeah, he's coming for Jacob, he's coming for Israel. But the Lord says, yes, that's true, but I'm also giving you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, when Jesus was born, some of you will know this because you've read it in the Gospel of Luke. When Jesus is born, his parents in Jerusalem, they take him to be dedicated at the temple. And when they come to present him at the temple, there's a a very old man named Simeon there. And Simeon, it's been revealed by the Lord to Simeon that he's not going to die until he sees the Messiah. So Joseph and Mary, they come and they're bringing the baby Jesus in and Simeon sees them and he identifies this child is the Messiah. And he takes him up in his arms and he blesses the Lord. And this is what he says. Listen, he says, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. So yes, he's coming for Israel, but he is coming for all people, all nations. So uh, the prophets had declared that. So when Jesus stands on this day, this day, the the feast now uh, has officially ended. But now on the day following, Jesus is there in that same area, in the temple area. He's teaching and he says these words, I am the light of the world. Now, when Jesus says that he is the light of the world, there's something implied in that. And what is implied in that is that the world is dark. That the world is dark. And the darkness, of course, that's being referred to here is not, we're not talking a physical darkness, but we're talking about spiritual darkness, moral darkness. The world is enshrouded in darkness. And that's always been the case. Always been the case. Now, we haven't always recognized that that's the case because of a number of things, mainly because of uh, the influences of the spirit and the gospel throughout history in different places. But I mean, let's, let's just understand that the world has always been a dark place. The world today is a dark place. And I think it's getting darker all the time. Think of darkness as spiritual darkness, moral darkness. Think of it as confusion, spiritually and morally. Think of it as oppressive and harmful. That is the reality that we live in. And Jesus says that he is the light of the world. He's the one who stepped into that darkness. We live in the midst of darkness, but so few recognize it. You know how, you know how your eyes will adjust to darkness? I mean, there, there's certain levels of darkness that there is no adjusting. It's just 
pitch black, and however your eyes adjust, it doesn't change anything. But we've, we've all probably had the experience of you know, being in a dark room or something, and then you know, given enough time, your eyes sort of adjust a little bit, and you start to be able to see, see a little bit. Well, here we are. We're living in this darkness, but we don't realize so often that we're living in the darkness. Think about the fact that the majority of people neither see nor understand the value of their own soul. What, what is that? That's, that's darkness. There's, their, their minds are darkened in relation to that. The, the majority of people have no concept of the reality and love of God. And, and the Bible speaks of people becoming darkened in their minds. So where at one time they might have had more clarity, through a process, they become darker. Their minds become darkened. And Paul mentions this in the first chapter of, of Romans. He speaks about people who willfully reject the obvious signs of the reality of God. And he says that their minds are darkened. And, and then he says this, professing to be wise, they become fools. And they exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for that which is like human beings and four-footed animals, various beasts and creeping things. Paul's making reference to the, the different kinds of things that people have replaced God with as far as worshiping. Worshiping, mostly today, what we would see is people worshiping themselves or worshiping the self. But that's a result of a darkened mind. Now, of course, there are people who would say, hey, you're crazy, man. We're living in the most enlightened time ever. We, you know, the lights are finally on. We're coming out from under the, the shroud of the darkness that religion and superstition and all that has placed on us. And now we're, we're really coming out into the light and we're really seeing things clearly. There's a, there's a bunch of people that think that this is a, a, an illuminated moment. I don't see it that way. I, I think it's getting darker and darker. And in this illuminated moment, I mean, think of just this one simple thing. If you're paying any attention to what's going on in the larger culture, which I'm sure you are, we're at a time when highly educated, supposedly intelligent people, people who are in positions of of power and authority in this country, when asked a very simple question that a toddler can answer, they can't answer it. Here's the question, what is a woman? What is a woman? Now, this enlightened age can no longer answer that question. So I think unless we want to just go with the flow, we need to recognize, no, this is darkness. These are minds that have become darkened to where we can no longer even think rationally. We're not allowed to think rationally. 
We lived in the age of science and empiricism. And everything was always, well, what does the science say? Now it's like, science doesn't matter. What do you say? How do you feel? What do you think? In your, your deepest heart of hearts, what, what is your perspective? That is what some people are saying is reality. So I think that we are in a time of deep darkness. Darkness is covering the earth and a gross darkness is covering the people. But here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. He's the light of the world today. He's the light of the world for the future. But you know, the truth of the matter is, Jesus has always been the light of the world. And this is a claim that Jesus is making, of course. And a claim can be challenged. A claim can be disputed. And as I pointed out when we were looking at another one of the claims of Jesus, I mean, anybody can claim something, but there has to be some In order for us to take the claim seriously, there has to be some proof of it, right? There has to be some evidence to support the claim. So Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Those who follow me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Is there anything that can support that claim? Well, actually, that claim is supported by things all around us, all around us, but we somehow miss it. So let's think about things that we all assume to be true. And I'll take it a step further. Things that we take for granted. Things that we just think, well, these, this is just the way things are. And what I want to show you is that that really isn't the case. These are not what they are, because this is just the way things are. These are the way they are for a reason, and the reason behind it all ultimately is the statement of Jesus here. I am the light of the world. And he says to his followers, you are the light of the world. And as we just trace the history back, These things, and what what Glenn says, I mean, isn't it true that we all just assume that, of course, equality is the right way to go? Yes, somebody should be compassionate. And consent, nobody should be able to just do what they want without you agreeing to it. And enlightenment and freedom, we all agree. Even the most avid, progressive, Leftist is operating off of this system because they think lots of things are wrong. They think there's lots of injustices. They think there's all kinds of things that shouldn't be the way they are. Where did they get that idea? Well, they don't even realize it. They got it from the influence of Jesus. That's the point. So when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, 
History supports that the claim is valid. But then he goes on and he says, I am the light of the world. Those who follow me will not walk in darkness. Now, the biblical picture is that the world is in darkness. And as I said, it's, it's a spiritual and it's, and it's a moral darkness. So what Jesus is doing is he's saying there is a way out of the darkness. How do we come out of the darkness? How do we come out of that place where our minds are darkened to the point that we can't even make sense of anything anymore? That we would become so irrational that we would support the idea that men can have babies. How do you get there? But more importantly, how do you get, how do you get out of there? Because that's, nothing good's going to come out of that. And in the long run, and we see that. We already see these numbers of people who have transitioned in the, you know, the transgender thing. These, these kids that were duped by their elders, by their teachers, by their parents in some cases. To, to go ahead and yes, you know, your gender is fluid. Your girl, you want to be a boy? No problem. Let's make that happen for you. And so they go through these crazy processes that medically screws them up majorly. And now there's a number of them who have themselves, despite the influence of the adults around them, they've come to their own conclusion, no, this is messed up. This is wrong. So now there's a group of people who are detransitioning. They're coming back to what they originally were. So that's the question. How do we get out of the, the madness once we're there? How do we get out of the darkness? Jesus said, follow me. I'm the light of the world. And if you follow me, you won't remain in that darkness. But you will have the light of life. So darkness John, even though the Bible in general talks about darkness, John, he juxtaposes light and darkness all throughout his gospel. And darkness, as far as John is concerned, is the spiritual and moral antithesis of who and what God is. When John's talking about darkness, that's what he's talking about, the spiritual and moral antithesis of what God is. And so John writes in not in his gospel, but in his first letter, he writes that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, again, John's not the only Bible writer who talks about darkness. We find references to darkness all throughout. And specifically, I want to look at the New Testament for a moment. And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. There's so many questions today about science and faith. And uh, are they compatible? Can you 
be even a scientific person and a believer at the same time? Well, Professor John Lennox from Oxford University says, yes, you can. And in his fantastic book, Can Science Explain Everything?, he basically shows us from a scientific standpoint and as a scientist that science cannot explain everything. But, of course, the Gospels and the Word of God do. So I love this book. It's an easy read. It's very helpful. It's a great book to read yourself and to even pass on maybe to a skeptical friend. So I want to encourage you to pick up Can Science Explain Everything by Dr. John Lennox. Again, this month's resource is a book titled, Can Science Explain Everything? by Dr. John Lennox. You can order the book, Can Science Explain Everything? by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, Can Science Explain Everything? by Dr. John Lennox. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of John. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.